It is 5 p.m. on October 3rd, 2022, and this is the City of Iowa City work session, and I want to welcome everyone uh, that is in person and also viewing online or through any social outlet. The first item on our agenda is going to be Capital Projects Update, and we're going to invite Scott up to get us started. Welcome. Good evening. Good evening, Mayor and Council. My name is Scott Silvers, and I'm the Assistant City Engineer in the Engineering Division. Tonight, I'm gonna to provide you with a brief update on the scope, status, and estimated construction cost, or estimated completion date, excuse me, for the 2022 capital improvement projects. Uh, the first project on the, on the list is the American Legion Road Improvements Project. This project generally uh, includes the complete reconstruction of American Legion Road from Scott Boulevard to Taft Avenue. More specifically, the project includes street pavement replacement, the addition of a single lane roundabout at the Scott Boulevard intersection, sidewalks on both sides of the street, all new public utilities, and a pedestrian tunnel near Hoover School. Currently, the roundabout and street pavement from Scott Boulevard uh, to the east of Arlington Drive is complete. We are anticipating that all work, with the exception of the Taft Avenue intersection and permanent seating along the entire corridor uh, to be finished yet this year with final completion in the spring of 2023. Uh, the next project is the First Avenue and Scott Boulevard intersection improvements project. Uh, this intersection reconstruction project generally includes the construction of a single lane roundabout um, with all new sidewalk and public utilities. Currently, we are estimating the project to be roughly 90% complete. Remaining work generally includes sidewalk, sidewalks on basically all sides of the roundabout, um, and then the final street connections at the Scott, Boulevard, uh, Scott Boulevard uh, west of First Avenue and then the uh, First Avenue to the south. Uh, these connections will require a 14-day uh, intersection closure, um, which is planned to start earlier this week, excuse me, later this week. Weather permitting, all work will be finished up late October. Yeah, I have to say that that one really does look almost complete. I, I, I go by it a couple of times a day and it's made huge progress. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. It's just, it's taken some time. We had some utility conflicts that uh, kind of slowed the progress down, but we're, they're really starting to make some progress now, so. Uh, that brings us to the 2022 asphalt resurfacing project. This project includes the resurfacing and ADA ramp replacements at Taylor Drive Bancroft Drive, Crosby Lane, Rundell Street, Lower Muscatine Road, and Bloomington Street. It also, include, also included in this project is the refreshing of the chip seal surfacing on Taft Avenue, Taft Speedway, Sycamore Street, North Dubuque Road, Scott Park Road, and Meyer Avenue. Uh, we're estimating we're roughly 80% complete with the project. Remaining streets uh, to be resurfaced are Bancroft Drive and Crosby Lane. Um, and these are currently under progress right now. Anticipate completion date for this project is mid to late November. Next project is the Northwest Minster Storm Sewer Improvements. Uh, this project includes storm sewer street and sidewalk replacement on both Northwest Minster and Washington Street. Currently, the majority of the work on Washington Street has been completed. There's just some final surface rest, um, topsoiling and surface restoration needs to be uh, completed, but that all intents and purposes, uh, Washington Street is done. Um, the contractor is currently focusing efforts on storm sewer uh, street, sidewalk, and driver replacements on Northwest Minster. Weather permitting, the anticipated substantial completion date for this project is late November. Um, the Second Avenue Bridge Replacement Project includes uh, the replacement of the bridge itself, uh, sidewalk, trail, 
and driveways as well as uh, there's a portion of sidewalk infill on the east side of 2nd Avenue uh, from the bridge to uh, bridge south to F Street. Uh, this project was stanchially completed and open to both vehicular and pedestrian traffic um, in late August. Uh, next project is the Melrose uh, uh, Avenue IWV improvements. Um, in addition to road reconstruction, this project included the replacement of the existing storm sewer and culverts with the extension of a new water main from Slothhower Road to the Iowa City landfill. Currently, the project is 90% complete with final service restoration remaining, which would be just some fine grading and, and seeding. We're anticipating this project will be wrapped up sometime late October. Rochester Avenue improvements. Uh, this project generally includes the reconstruction of Rochester Avenue from Ralston Creek to First Avenue. This is a multi-year project. Um, included in this project is street, sidewalk, and driver replacement, um, replacement of the traffic signals at First Avenue, and new storm and water main, storm sewer and water main. Uh, weather permitting, the portion of the project between, the Ralst between Ralston Creek and Rochester Court is anticipated to be complete late November. Completion of the overall project is planned for the spring of 2024. Uh, the next project is the Orchard Street uh, improvements. This project includes a replacement of public utilities, street, sidewalk, and driveways from Benton Street to US Highway 1. Also included in this project is uh, sidewalk infill on the east side of Orchard Street, along, along with the addition of pedestrian signals at the Orchard and US Highway 1 intersection. Currently remaining work uh, generally includes street and sidewalk paving and final service restoration from Douglas, Douglas Court, excuse me, Douglas Street to the Harbor Freight entrance. Weather permitting the project is anticipated to be substantially complete and open to vehicular and pedestrian traffic in early November. And then I guess in looking ahead, there are a few projects that we bid this year with flexible schedules that will likely not start until uh, next year or will start this year with the bulk of, bulk of the work happening next year. Um, they include Benton Street rehabilitation, uh, Fairchild Street reconstruction, and the Highway 6 uh, trail extension. Other projects that uh, we will be bidding uh, this winter for 2023 construction are the Gilbert Street Bridge reconstruction and the Dubuque Street improvements. A few of the larger, more impactful projects that we will be in planning and design uh, phase, phases next year include the reconstruction of Court Street, uh, Taft Avenue, Park Road, and Gilbert Street. Additionally, concept planning and design for the Burnley Street Bridge uh, replacement will also start next year. Currently funding for the construction of this project is program, program for 2028. So this project's a little ways out, but we need to get started on the concept planning early on. So all of this assumes that the planned 2023 through 2027 capital improvements project budget is approved through the council early next year. Is the Burlington Street Bridge, that's in partnership with the state, is that right? Yep, with the state and then other um, folks that'll be uh, stakeholder list will be uh, the University of Iowa okay. as well. So that's what I have for project updates. I'd be happy to open it up to any questions anybody has or I can flip back to any, any of the projects and we can talk through those as well. So on, so on Rochester Street, the, the plan is to finish that piece and then reopen Rochester until the through spring? The yep, yep, so they'll be on hard surface through the winter. So all traffic control would be removed from the street. And maybe I did see the um, social media announcement about the closing of 
first Scott and Scott. first. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe a reminder of where the detour is, especially because <coughs> Rochester is closed down, so that might be something to... So the detour will be uh, Court Street over to Muscatine and then Burlington um, and then Dodge or Governor, depending on which direction you're going, mm -hmm. back up around. So, Thank you. Have you run into any like real, real issues with any of these projects that have either pushed them back or that, or that are like regular recurring issues so that just so that. Yeah, so one of the issues we've had on a number of our projects is just, um, well, there's a couple issues. One of them is just contractors are really busy right now. And so they're trying to jump from project to project and that's caused a, quite a bit of delay on most of our projects. The other thing that we've been dealing with is private utility conflicts and uh, getting private utility companies to move their uh, facilities when they're in conflict with our proposed improvements within public right away. So that's been a challenge. So they, they've been as busy as well. So it's everybody's just trying to work as hard as they can to get, the, get things done, but that has caused delays. How are the supply, supply chain issues for some of these projects? That is another challenge. Um, we recently had a um, pre-construction meeting for, I believe it was for the Benton Street project, and the contractor told us for the water main material, the pipe, the ductile iron pipe, it's 60 weeks out. Six, six zero? Six zero weeks. Wow. So they're hopeful they can get it before them, but they said conservatively you should plan on 60 weeks. So it's hard to, that's probably one of the other th things that we've seen as far as delays is just material delays and then um, increase in pricing on materials. Wow, thank you. Yep. Here. <laughs> All right, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yes. All right, any more discussion on that, counselors? All right, we're gonna move on to clarification of agenda items. Uh, in our consent agenda, I just want to, um, I guess, pull out, but just for a brief um, description of item 6F, which has to do with the Mercer Park um, upgrades that are going to be happening. And it's more just to, to be able to provide that information out. I know that there's been confusion about what um, Parts of, of Parks and Rec master plan is, um, you know, happening and when, and so it's just more to, to be able to pull it out and, and explain N nothing as far as a vote or any okay. anything like that. Yep. Um, I would recommend maybe two ways to do it. You can okay. certainly, um, during council discussion, kind of highlight it, but I'm sure any of our staff would also be um, uh, Julie Seidel Johnson is here, and so would be yeah. uh, able to offer clarification either now or then, whichever is your preference. Do you prefer? Or both. I have, yeah. If there's going to be a whole lot of detailed uh, clarification, I would recommend that we do that at the formal so that those who are going to be tuning in can see that. That's if you my just preference, have a quick question. just to help, you know, with communication and make sure that folks know the cool stuff that's going to be happening for Mercer. So thank you. Be ready. All right. <laughs> yeah, and I, I just on on six B. I just wanted to point out that the they've the, the city has used Carney and Appleby for some time, but but they decided to to rebid it as as a as a lobbying firm in Des Moines. They decided to rebid it, and they and they got three bids, and they looked at them and decided this, they still should go with this firm. But they took a look to see if there was somebody else mm -hmm. uh, that they should consider, which is. And I think what I might do, if I remember, um, after I, um, before I have public discussion, I'm going to ask that you come up on 6F. Okay, great. Since you've already acknowledged that you want to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Any other thing from the formal? We will move on to information packets. Can I ask one more quick question? Sorry. Absolutely. Um, on item 10, which is the rare at South Trunk Sanitary Sewer, is um, what 
are all the landowners in that area already being notified that this is going to happen because it's going to it's going to have a major impact? Yeah. yeah, we've been in close coordination with most of the all the property owners, not only just on the Abbey Lane piece, but also west of 218. So everybody's very familiar with the project. Great. Thank you. Yep. All right, we'll move on to information packet, September 22nd. We know that we have um, the Happy Hollow, inf uh, that's in this information packet number two uh, that we'll discuss. Before we go there, is there any other item from this packet? Okay. All right, so um, maybe I'll ask staff to just give us a maybe a review if they desire on this one great hello and welcome Good. Uh, so the item refers to the uh, small ball field at happy hollow park um, it was a skinned or agri-lime baseball field until about 2019 um, at that time staff removed the agri-lime and made it a grass field similar to other t-ball fields throughout the community uh, that's the primary use of that field is t-ball with a few rentals throughout the summer um, there was neighborhood interest in possibly changing that back so we had snyder and associates come out and do another public meeting in the park um, you have that information from that public meeting and then it went to the parks commission who recommended that it be held until we do the park renovations in a few years the question is really a um, neighborhood level versus a system level question the neighbors around happy hollow have a very a strong interest in it returning to being a skinned baseball field. System-wide staff and use would point to it being adequate as it is as a grass field and we looked at equity and efficiency of staff time. Staff recommendation would be to keep it that way. All right, any questions for Julie? Thank you. All right. Now I know that I was on council when this first came up in I, I think I saw the date. It goes back to 2020 uh, when we first had our discussion on this item. And um, since then, we've had a, a, I saw the timeline of all the meetings that has been brought to council, also all the work that the staff has done um, in partnership uh, with Snyder um, to really, in, you know, kind of go with what is it that the public want um, and just seeking out some of those comments. While I do absolutely appreciate our staff and I do understand where they're coming from with, um, with the workload uh, as they've described it, um, this is one where I do see an opportunity where um, we could um, return this back um, where it can be used by uh, a variety of people. I, when I look at um, you know, Mercer Park, that is definitely, um, a, you know, a, a desired park. It has all of the things there. It's, and when you're talking about maintenance, it's all there. So I do understand um, the ease of it all. But I, I, I think that there is something to be said about um, kind of this one-off in a way, um, this small space where it has a different feel uh, for people in the community. Um, and, and then the other thing is um, the maintenance was one of the major things that I know the council talked about. Um, how are we going to maintain this? And I do understand hauling stuff, and uh, that's never any fun. Um, but I am confident that, um, you know, staff can figure out how to maintain it. The other thing that I might say is um, I'm looking through the comments on, you know, with some of the individuals that would like to see this return, you know, there might be an appetite where staff can um, maybe even um, kind of joint efforts to maintain this park um, or this, this ball field. Um, so I am more inclined to direct staff to return it um, and just wanted to see what my fellow counselors have to say. 
Well, I, I will just add a couple of comments. <clears throat> one, one of them has to do with that systems aspect that Julie mentioned, because I, one, one thing that I've been working on over the last couple of months in terms of trying to understand this, this issue is, is sort of pull back and look at what, how cities typically address the question of ball fields. And what, what I found in, in that research was that I could not find a city that relied strictly on its multi-field complexes to serve the needs of all those who wish to play baseball, whether formally or informally. They always had uh, to complement their complexes at least one ball field in a neighborhood park. And, and so it's, and, and that's, the, what are the reasons for that? The reasons are that uh, these types of facilities, ball fields and neighborhood parks, serve all kinds of people and all kinds of groups, whether it's organized competition, practice, informal pickup. Uh, it's a kind of more open-ended use of the field, uh, not just by the neighbors, it's by the city as a whole. Uh, it is, Happy Hollow was before the the uh, grass infield was installed, the only neighborhood ball field in Iowa City. So we, we at this time have no neighborhood park with a baseball field at the moment. Um, and I think that was, that's where the comments were coming from, which were not just from the neighbors, by the way, it was we heard from the um, Little Hawks Baseball Club, who um, said they would love to see the baseball field back. And in fact, they seem to be kind of pinched between the um, Iowa City boys baseball teams and access to a place to play because of the competition for the fields at City Park. So that was one reason they were really keen on, on Happy Hollow because uh, they felt that uh, they could use that field uh, for their six, seven, and eight-year-olds. and. Um, and also that it, they felt it could serve as a practice field for the other teams. So that sort of speak to exactly the kinds of things that I was seeing uh, being the purpose behind these fields. And um, you know, the mayor mentioned the idea of the volunteerism. The, the um, Little Hawks felt so passionately about this, they said, look, we're, we're interested in volunteering if we need to, to make this thing work. And. Um, what I've found is that too seems to be, there's precedent for that, uh, even within the Iowa City metro area in that the uh, Iowa City Community School District has a couple of schools, elementary schools, Penn and Weber, where uh, in their outdoor areas, they have a skinned in field and a soccer field configuration with nets installed. Um, so they have the shared field concept, and at least at uh, Weber, uh, the field is, is maintained by volunteers. I, I didn't have a chance to check into Penn, but I, I suspect it's the same configuration. So I think a number of the issues that were raised in terms of staff's concerns about the added maintenance, I, I think there is potential for addressing it through volunteerism. And I think I would just finish by uh, you know, I haven't really referenced the survey information. It was pretty compellingly oriented towards restoring the infield by the numbers, uh, 25 in favor, two in favor of, the, of restor restoration, two in favor of status quo, and 11 that either were neutral or didn't answer. But one that really stuck out for me was David Hamilton, who is um, an English professor, retired English professor, and he spoke just lyrically and poetically about the Happy Hollow Park in general. He goes there every day and has for decades. So he, you know, his, his poetic abilities, I think, were informed by his, his understanding of the place. And in terms of the ball field, what he said was, or of the field itself, I'm glad that there is a soccer field and a ball, a ball diamond. No reason the two can't coexist. I'd love to see the infield brought back to the diamond. I'd sacrifice a bit of green for that. 
Who wouldn't prefer to play where a grounder skips across a true infield? That's how you learn to field and throw. So he spoke in a kind of eloquent way about some of the comments we heard, which were not only the preference for playing on a skinned infield, but also the safety aspects of it. The, the, ball, the ball is hit more truly on a skinned infield. You don't get the odd hops that you get on a, on a grass infield. And that was, that was noted by a number of people, including some of the folks from the writer's workshop. So um, for those reasons, in addition to the mayor's comments, um, I would suggest we, we bring this field back. I would also say the infield back. In terms of the schedule, we, we've started the preliminary work. Uh, that was, I think, a wise decision we made in terms of coupling it with the, um, the discussion of the ballpark. So we, we have preliminary uh, information, public input on the playground. Uh, if we decide to restore the infield, I would, I would ask you to consider that uh, we complete the planning and design documentation in fall and winter of this year. And if it's at all possible to uh, implement next spring, uh, which was when the project was originally scheduled until our last budget when it was pushed back a year, uh, we could complete this project in 2023. And that would be the end phase of what started in 2016. So it's been a very long, multi-phased project. I think it would be nice now that if we have a direction to try to wrap it up next year and, um, and complete it. And I think I am, with the work that we've done uh, with the, the uh, restroom and the shelter and the future playground, all the pieces are in place to serve uh, in a way which would complement one, one another with the field being an interesting piece in all of that. So, you know, it could be something where people rent the shelter with, a, with a, perhaps a soccer emphasis for the ball field or perhaps a uh, ball use of the, uh, about, of the ball field or maybe a mixed use kind of affair. But in any event, having all of those three elements of four, if you include the playground, I think will make for a really very successful neighborhood park. So, so those are my thoughts. Thanks. I agree with Councillor Thomas and, and Mayor uh, Teague also mentioned the timeline that he mentioned a 2020 date and, and John mentioned 2020-21. And all, with all due respect to the Parks and Recs Commission um, talking about waiting till we look at the whole park plan, that's a long time to wait. So as John had mentioned, you know, another three, four, five years before we would get this ball field back uh, to its original design, which historically it sounds like it was used for more than just uh, T-ball. And I, I kind of found it ironic, and you'd brought up the Mercer Park earlier item that's on our agenda. I found it ironic that that was on our agenda at the same time we're talking about this, and we're talking thousands of dollars, and, and uh, it mentioned... Um, uh, implementing the, uh, more of a playability to to their fields, and and that, that's exactly what we'd like to see here. And uh, both uh, the mayor and Council Taylor uh, mentioned that these outside groups have volunteered to do maintenance, and so that takes away that whole cost issue. So uh, I I don't see any reason to to sit on this very much longer. I'm just looking for a little bit of clarification, John, on the. Um Timeline: Are you proposing that the entire playground uh, reconstruction be moved sooner? To uh, yeah, summer of 2023. Okay, which it's currently the, not just we're not just talking about skinning the ball field. Then it would be combined with the skinning of the ball field. So we would we would do the rest of the work to be done okay. next, next summer. And I think the recommendation from Parks and Rec was to keep them combined, but keep it on the current timeline, which is 2024. 2024, yeah. With, with, and revisit this, um, the ball field at that time. And it seems we've done quite a bit of work here uh, trying to get public input. I don't know that we need any more. And I think when we talked about this in June of this year, if I recall the input from uh, Jeff correctly, it was, yes, we can move it up, we just need to figure out what we're trading out, right? Like, so what would drop off the sooner 
capital improvement project list in order to accommodate shifting this one up a year. Do you have thoughts on that? I, I don't other than that this is in the in the scale of our five-year CIP, a very small project. Um, so I, I would think we could find the, it's less than $200,000. Um, we, could, we could find the funding for that. Um, again, that, that would be my, my preferred approach, whether if, if for whether it's supply chain issues or funding issues, we need to stay with the night, uh, the 2024 scheme, so be it. Um, but I do think they should be combined, um, partly because I do want to see uh, the, the drainage issues, if there are any, addressed in the ball field area. Because if you know Happy Hollow, there are, there is standing water there in various locations. And when I see the contract for Mercer, uh, Drainage is issued as one of the scope items in that. So I, it did seem to me that um, if we restore the infill, let's let's be sure that the grades are correct, so we don't have standing water there. Um, just to be sure. Thanks for that clarification. And I think um, I appreciate that there may be individuals in the community who could help with maintenance, but I don't think that's the same as having kind of like a commitment or a plan for that. And I'd be concerned about, you know, the execution of that just in terms of our cost estimate, which if I understand, Julie, it's about 12,000. We had a memo that said 15,000. I think the most recent memo said 12,000 per year. Yes, uh, but that would be just to simply skin it and replace it with the AgriLime. If you want drainage and, and all the engineering, it would be <laughs> a little bit more than that, of course. Um, and that's an ongoing annual cost? Correct. So the largest cost is that we have to bring staff and equipment from the other locations, and it, that's where that came from. And then at the moment when it changes from the grass to the dirt to remove the sod and put that in, I think you estimated another 10,000, is that right? Correct, that was That's the, if yeah. staff does it though. What? That's if staff does it. I believe that was right. That was from, I'd have to check back to Jeff's memo on that one. Or more if it's contracted out is what but, the. Yeah. If yeah. you did it as part of the overall playground project, obviously mm -hmm. there'd be some cost savings because you would already have a contractor on site that would do that kind of groundwork. Um, but as I said, it wouldn't include drainage or anything underneath the field unless we added that to the project. So, so what projects are there? I know that we're about to talk about Mercer um, in momentarily, but um, in addition to that, are there other projects sure. that are slated ahead of this, just so that we actually can get a sense of what we might need to do as a trade-off? Sure. Because so the, the, the two other large park projects that are semi-large projects for next summer are Kiwanis Park, um, renovating the nature play area. Um, the public meetings for that are actually tomorrow night where we'll be showing um, options to the neighborhood and talking to the neighborhood with that. And then Hunter's Run, our far west side, one of the oldest playgrounds we have um, in the in the city. And the neighbor the neighborhood meeting for that is the first or second week in November. So both of those are already contracted with our consultants and underway for design and, and community input. Um, the other ones would be the finishing up of the this year's projects, Whispering Meadows, um, Chad at Green Park, Court Hill, and the Pet Mall Playground. Maybe, I don't know, Scott can help us out since he's still here too, but um, I think, Julie, you were just talking about those projects are slated for, so they're under design. We have a contract with the consultant already, right. and we're in FY23 right now. And they're budgeted for, we're in, <coughs> We're in CIP year 22 right now. Okay. And those are actually 20 CIP 23 projects. That's correct. Correct. Okay. But we do design and community input the summer prior. So I'm just trying to get the com comparable for this project. Mm -hmm. The design would happen with this being slated for 
It says FY24. Now I'm not sure. If it that's would happen about a year from now, okay. typically. Although we've already had two pre-master plan meetings, so it's, a lot of that work is it would be done. We would still want to give them input, time to input on the playground choices. But that would it be, be possible to move all of that up a whole year? Anything's possible if you want to fund it. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. I think one thing to consider, Julie, you could probably speak to this too, but um, for the Ped Mall Playground project, we have- Will you step to the mic, please? One thing to consider um, with the playground equipment is it take, there's a quite a lead time on that. And on the, the Ped Mall Playground, we got delayed by probably six months or more on that one. So I think that's just something to think about as we, you know, move projects around. I was thinking about that too when you were talking about discussion about whether to couple or uncouple the ballpark from the playground. I think I would be okay with uncoupling them if staff felt like that made sense in terms of timeline uh, or take staff advice that they need to remain coupled, understanding that could mean it push it back instead of next I, I, summer, the, the summer this, after. The staff recommendation would be to keep them coupled whether oh, you do okay. it in 23 or 24, just because both would require pretty substantial closure of the park and otherwise you'd be looking at partial closures over two years okay. rather than, than one. Um, playground lead times right now are somewhere between 10 and 12, up to 18 months. Um, as Scott mentioned, we were delayed on the on the Ped Mall project and it's delayed at the moment because some of the parts that came were incorrect and even trying to get remade mm -hmm. parts is difficult. Um, of the three playgrounds we ordered last January, um, Court Hill is installed, but the contract work is not done around it, so it's not open yet. Whispering Meadows Playground arrived last week, and that's about half installed as of today. And then we're still waiting on the new one for um, Chattuck Green Park. Um, the Glendale one that was the prior year's project was delayed also about eight months with the supply chain issues. So it is a real thing with playground installation and parts. So one, if one thought I had on that was, and I know you do, you've done this on other projects, would be to, to purchase, put in a purchase order for the play structure uh, as soon as possible as, as a separate purchase from the, the construction contract. So I mean, if you, if you were able through design to reach a point where you could make that order in say January of next year, I think there would still be time to complete the work. Yeah, good idea. That's actually what we did with all three of all four yeah. of those that I just mm. described. We we did that. We did the purchase order um, early before we contracted, um, and we're still with this kind of delay. But yes, there's we no do. markup, so it's correct. Helps we that way. we purchased them uh, through the government bid service prior to the contract almost every time now. I mean, it's a small play structure. I don't know if that will matter, but um, anyway. Do you do you know what the play structure would be for Happy Hollow already? So no, I would tell you it would be similar in size and scope to Fraunholtz Miller or Villa Park or um, Cardigan Park or Scott. Park. We have several of sure. that kind of size and scope that have gone in, gone in recently, mm -hmm. um, and those are pretty standard equipment. Yeah, um, but still, we're still looking at quite a bit of lead time. Oh, absolutely. No, my question was coming from kind of the first-ish brush with the details of this type of a project for me at any rate. And so I didn't know if this was a situation where you'd have to, f there was a lot of public input, for instance, with the Ped Mall. I realized, you know, a lot more investment of, of what the public wants and whatnot, but I didn't know if that was a, a, a regular part of the procedure is to gather input and if that had been done or because of the size of the park and that there are other models of similar that it's a little less uh, process heavy. Yeah, good question. We've already had the two neighborhood meetings out in okay. the park, so I think we have quite a bit of input about the playground. If you're comfortable with us choosing the playground equipment based on that and based on the scope of what we've done in these other similar park projects, then that would that would streamline that quite a bit. Got it. I might suggest to the council, um, and I'm not sure where everybody is, but if there is a desire to you know give direction Maybe we give direction, if, if that's the majority of the council's will, and then staff can come back and kind of tell us, um, you know, if, if uh, this is what you're gonna have to do to make that possible as far as 
um, the financial. Um, so, it, yeah, if I might, I don't, I don't know why it couldn't be a part of your CIP discussions coming up because we wouldn't do playground ordering until January, February. So, yeah, I think I, I, I yeah. guess I would leave that up yeah. to yeah. city manager's office as well. But yeah, and but I think maybe what the what we need to do if if it is the will of the council is to give direction, uh, give a nod that that's where we're going. But uh, yeah. I would agree that there's opportunity to mix and mingle things around as and, we normally do. And that would also be kind of the time frame we would need to know if you wanted the ball field project to happen next summer, we'd have to close it and re, you know, put T-ball somewhere else, some other things for, for during the construction time. So we would ma start making those decisions Janu or January, February as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right. Further council thoughts? Just that it, that it makes sense to do them together, and I, I, I'm sort of on the with the with the general consensus of reverting to a skinned infield. But I don't know which year makes sense, and I think I would leave that to tend to leave that to, to uh, either for a CIP discussion or or for staff to try and give us options, as you said. I'm in favor of also keeping it together and, and reverting, but um, I would definitely like to know sort of w what we have to consider um, because we've gone through so many different meetings, planning meetings about making sure that, um, you know, that we're not overtaxing capacity. So I really do want to find out from um, staff, like what would that look like if we wanted to move this forward? What would be the options? So. But I'm in favor of of doing of giving that direction. And you're in favor as well. Okay. Yes. Okay. I yeah. I just want to clarify again. <laughs> I'm sorry because I'm trying to remember our conversation in June. I thought at that point we agreed to move up the public input, but keep the Happy Hollow on the CIP where it was. And now we're revisiting that decision to see what we would trade out for for Happy Hollow to be moved up a year, yes? Is that what we're talking about? I think that, uh, and I can, there's <laughs> been a lot of discussions. So my memory says that we were going to revisit it to, in two years, and then that meeting, um, we really didn't revisit it. We didn't, we were waiting I don't know if we were waiting for. The one in June was when we directed this to happen, I think, over the last couple months, isn't it? I, I think we were open to moving it up. That was one reason for having the meeting in the park was a combined park playground. If you can move to your mic. It was a, it was a combination in that at the meeting uh, this past summer in the park, we combined preliminary planning for the playground. Okay, which is what Julie was just speaking to, yeah, that, that right. those meetings. Okay, so, thank you. So, so that was to try to Got it. lay the groundwork should we have the opportunity want to, move to move it up. up. Okay. Yeah, I'm not, I just don't want to agree to move it up without having a decision on what we would trade out. So. Or what opportunities would be there, even if it wasn't a trade. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to assume we're not going to find more money between now and then. But if sure, we do, sure. then yes. Yeah, you yeah. never know. I don't mean to be flip. I just, no, no, you no, know, no, no. Yeah. I'm going to assume it'll be a trade out. But yeah. that I would like us to have that conversation of what of the same size would we be pushing mm -hmm. back if we're moving this one up? And, and the other thing that I would throw out in, in the in as we look at that is, um, I may no longer live on the west side, but I know that the, the playgrounds there ha, are really few and far between, and the, um, I, I would not want to move Hunter's Run because it's, it's in really sort of dodgy shape. Yeah, and I think we've got a recommendation to keep it on the 2024 timeline, so that's what I'd be inclined to do if we were deciding this evening, which it doesn't sound like we're doing. I think we're, you know, signaling to staff that we want to have them, we want to revert is what I heard the majority of council say. Um, um, and we're going to couple them together and st uh, staff come back um, at some point with how we can make, with options of making that possible. Is that what you are hearing? Yeah. All right. Okay. So if there's nothing else. Thank you. Thank you. We will move on to, I, I, I don't want to cut anyone off. Anything else? All right. 
we will move on to the next item, which is our um, the info packet 929, September 29th, 2022. Um, we do have a joint entities item on that um, meeting agenda, which was highlighted by our city clerk in a memo. Wanted to know about any uh, topics of interest. This may be opening up a can of worms, um, so y'all can say no. Um, but I was wondering about whether it would be appropriate to um, start a discussion or introduce the notion again about regional transit since we talked about it during our strategic plan and that that only happens when talking about talking with other entities. So I realized that, you know, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of our own political muscle, as, as um, we talked about. But it seems to me that that's a possible sort of opening gambit is to just reintroduce the idea if, if others are okay with that. My, my, my initial reaction to that is I would love that conversation, but Better Together 2030 mm -hmm. is, um, I think, going to have that conversation with the entities within Johnson County. Mm -hmm. um, right now, I think it might be in our best interest to talk to other elected officials, mm -hmm. um, kind of one-on-one, and maybe have the discussions just to, um, you know, just introduce personal thoughts on how to, you know, how this could play out. And then maybe in conjunction a little bit with Better, 30, Better Together 2030, I kind of get a little direction and guidance from them before we take it there, unless we were going to ask them, which we could, you know, we have the opportunity to put this on there. Do you feel like you can lead us in a discussion? So, I mean, so maybe that would be the thing where we ask better together if they feel comfortable and then if they're saying not now, then we can, yeah. you know. But I, I, I like I, that I, idea. I'm ready I mean, for I'm, it. I am more than happy to, you know, if we could put an ask to 2030 to have them kind of work through it since this is, I mean, better together 2030 is, you know, the, the conglomeration of all the different, um, you know, regional areas. So I, it makes sense to me to make the ask. And I just think if they can lead us through that discussion or, or open it up as a conversation and put it on the table, I think that, you know, why not? But I certainly agree with you also about the wisdom of, um, you know, at the same time or in a parallel way to have, you know, the, the personal conversations as well. But are people in agreement with us having the discussion with Better Together and seeing mm -hmm. yes, and just go, following up on their lead? Yeah, okay. and I, I think it could be pretty, pretty brief also, because I think in the conversations that we've had and primarily, you know, I've been talking around the MPO um, and looking at the Crandit corridor. But in a lot of those conversations last year and leading into this last spring, um, I think there's some threshold questions that we could kind of just say as a group, you know, well, what what does it take to actually have a transit authority? You know, because that takes a certain uh, threshold of population. And what would have to change if that's the route we wanted to go versus agreements that we could have among government agencies to operate a transit system in our collective area, you know, through 2080 or that kind of thing. So I, I think it could be very simple, but just kind of say this is something we've identified yeah. as important and... Mm -hmm. I do also think the, the U of I hospital locating kind of in almost between mm -hmm. entities is a huge piece of that that mm. we shouldn't look away from. I don't know. Just to put you on the spot as our MPO chair, do you have any thoughts, John? Well, I know. I, I agree with you. And I, I always felt that the, um, the Crandic line was an opportunity for us to kind of model regional planning uh, on a kind of case level and uh, begin to develop that sensibility through that project. I think as you were saying that, you know, North Liberty, Coralville and Iowa City all have kind of different layouts and functions with their transit or lack of transit. Um, so I, I yeah, I, I think it's gonna be a complicated conversation. Um, so I think we need to be careful and I like the idea of better together as, you know, being involved in the conversation but I, I do, I'm hopeful that our Krantic discussion will be fruitful. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, lead to a better understanding of how regional transit not only is better from a transit standpoint, but it may be better from a land use standpoint. I think that's one of the most important lessons I hope we learn from this, is you can't separate them. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so, so um, Councilor Thomas, I'll, I'll, I'll try and find and send you this most amazing public transit ad I've ever seen that was this put together in, in Denmark. Mm -hmm. I sent it to Jeff, I'll send it to you. It'd be worth showing at the next meeting. It's fabulous. Um, I have two po uh, proposed quick pro um, possible topics. One, to get the auditor's office to talk about voting, early voting, satellite offices, and so forth, because that's two days before early voting starts. Uh, and two, to bring in, again, Johnson County Public Health to sort of talk about the various various things going on, flu, COVID, uh, monkeypox, and so forth. Just a quick update. So I'm seeing uh, heads nod. So it seemed like those two. <clears throat> when we go for the auditor's office for <clears throat> voting related and then for our public health. Um, um, I do want to give us at least seven minutes of break <laughs> before we start at 6 p.m. I, as I was hearing the conversation about uh, Better Together 2030 and then the MPO, it almost seemed like we should probably ask both of them to maybe come and just do a little, you know, maybe do a collabor collaborative effort. Are people okay with that? I am. So we'll just ask them both. Sure. Anything else? We will, I don't say our USG students today um, or representative. So we will um, adjourn for now and we'll come back at 6 p.m. for our formal meeting.